welcome back to this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And wow, just wow, the season, the postseason of injuries continues yet again. But we'll get into that and more. But as always, I'm Jerry Castillo and I'm joined by... It's been a crazy season so far. It's been honestly been kind of a hot mess in terms of injuries. But uh, anyways, I'm Daniel Huynh and I'm joined by... Yeah, can't even express it how much this off this postseason has been uh hasn't been living up to the hype as far as just everybody staying healthy i guess but it's your boy really rail jarell sales and gee you mentioned it like this season just the injuries have just been piling up piling up piling up and you know last night we saw perhaps the one person we didn't want to see get injured in Giannis and Tedekumpo and for all those that missed it, I think it was Clint Capella. He was going up for a lob attempt or an alley-oop attempt, and then he came down awkwardly on Giannis's left knee to the point where it got hyperextended backwards. And just looking at the, the replay, it was sickening, dude. Like, I, it was one of those things where you just you watch it once, and then that was it. That's enough. But the fact that TNT kind of showed it back and back to back to back to back was kind of weird. But yeah, no, he, it looked really, really bad. And he kind of, it was in the third quarter where the Bucks were down throughout the, throughout most of the game. And they, it looked like they were trying to get their, their footing, but then this happened and they just, they just lost all momentum. And this could potentially change the dynamic of the series because we don't necessarily know what the extent of the injury is it could range from an ACL to an MCL to just even a bone bruise. And I don't know if you guys uh, saw, but was there any updates on what the, uh, what the injury status was? It was just a, a um, really bad hyperextension, right? They're scan. They are supposedly scanning it today, but as of right now, I have not heard of any public announcement, but it looks bad. Right. I think I heard something about uh, the scan coming back negative, not too much information on that or the initial scan, but something came back negative for sure. Right. And with that being said, like we, because we don't know the severity of Giannis's knee injury, obviously he's going to be out for game five. There's no doubt he's not. Well, he could, unless, you know, through Herculean efforts, he plays game five, but more often than not, it's fair to say that he is not playing game five. So as it stands, the series is tied to all, you know, with Milwaukee losing in a blowout, which makes sense because your best players out, your best two other players aren't playing at all. So just thoughts on this situation, just thoughts on the series as a whole, because Trey Young missed game four, but Lou Williams stepped in and, you know, poured in 21 points. So thoughts on the series so far? It's crazy to say this. I mean, it's crazy how opinions can change in within the matter of days. A couple days ago, I was literally thinking, oh, Milwaukee has just gained, regained all momentum this series. Trey Young is going to be out for a little bit. But after what we saw the other night with Giannis uh, potentially getting injured, that injury looked really bad. I think I am, I will not be surprised if there is major time missed from this postseason on to early parts of next year. Um, the Hawks have completely, you know, like retaking the reins of the series once again. Uh, it's just, it's now come down to the battle of attrition. And I think Trey Young injury, Trey Young's injury, while it may have seemed bad at the, at the moment, um, it did not look any like anything like this, like severity of Giannis's what Giannis is going through right now. I think Trey Young is going to get. I think we. I think it's very likely we're going to see him 
you know, back in the series again. I think I'm suspecting there's a good chance he could be back for game five. I think Atlanta with, I mean, without Giannis, the heart of this team is gone. Um, Giannis, even though with his limits, he was the leader of this team. He was the guy leading their strategy these last couple of games was to essentially use your size without him. There's, there's not really any smack to that strategy anymore. So it's, it, I mean, without Giannis, this Bucks team is not the same. So uh, I think the Hawks are going to win this in six or seven now. It, yeah, and, it's, it, it feels that way. And really quickly, just to update on Giannis. So according to ESPN, Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski, Giannis did not suffer any structural damage to his left knee and his ligaments are sound. So Giannis is doubtful for game five. But go ahead, G. Yeah, uh, kind of agreeing here with Daniel. I'm not too sure if I'm um, Nate McMillan, if I'm going to play Trey Young, just given how well the Atlanta Hawks fared without him against the fully healthy, at the time, uh, Bucks. Uh, we have veteran players. We talk about how this team is so young, but we have Lou Williams. Lou Williams has been around block a few times. He's 16 years in the league. Uh, we have Danilo Gallinari. You know, we have uh, Bogdanovich, although he is uh, young in the in the sense of NBA uh, competition. He He's 28 years old. He's been playing professionally for a minute. So all that to say, players are stepping up. Uh, I, I looked at the game, and in the fourth quarter, he just emptied the bench. And I'm over here thinking, I see five, six, seven different players come into the game, and I'm like, none of these players played the whole series. So the Hawks have all these young players and people I've never heard of on the bench. They've only been running a six, seven-man rotation. I forgot they even had Cam Reddish, and then to think they still have DeAndre Hunter on the squad. Mm -hmm. So there's players there that have talent, and apparently um, – just like with, with uh, Tyron Lue, they some coaches instill this confidence in players, um, and I think Nate McMillan is one of those coaches. So with that being said, um, and I, I hate to just go against the Bucks, but it just doesn't seem like this is their time either, and it's just sad to see Giannis go down. But I'm going to say the Hawks uh, – I'm going to say the Hawks in six. Yeah, I mean, that's fair to say. I mean, you also forget that Chris Dunn is also on the squad too. Like he's yeah. missed the entire year, and if he needs to pull out a defensive specialist to maybe like you know, like we saw Chris Middleton go off for a twenty points in the fourth quarter in Game Three. If he needs some sort of spark, yeah, Chris Dunn's like what six four. Chris Middleton's six eight. I mean, yeah, sure, but I mean, it doesn't hurt to try, right? He has so many different weapons. Nate McMillan does that. I think it's going to be a very interesting situation moving forward, especially if you know the Hawks will probably take a three two lead unless something, again, drastic happens with Giannis. Because in Game 4, the Hawks were shooting 50% from the field while Milwaukee only shot 39% and shot 20% from three. Atrocious. Yeah, I mean, you guys mentioned it was a war of attrition. Well, when I think of that, I think of like those low-scoring low affairs that have been happening in the, in the Western Conference Finals, which we'll get to in a minute. But I just don't think that there's enough for the Bucks. I'm still holding out the Bucks winning seven. But I just don't think there's enough for the Bucks to feasibly take this unless Giannis is at least 70 or 80% healthy, which he won't be, especially considering what just happened. So I, I just want to voice that um, even though Chris Middleton had a, has had great games in the series, particularly around game three, uh, where he went off for, for 38 something points, as I, as I can recall, I just historically, the trend is there that Chris Middleton 
has not has a lot of the time have not has not really shown up and when it when it counts most to help Giannis out and with Giannis out Chris gotta remember Chris Middleton is not exactly Paul George even in even then Paul George has had his playoff struggles himself he's like a discount Paul George yes and I mean do you, like he's not really stepped up to show up before and why do you expect him to show up now so it's it, it, I just I just don't have any faith in Chris Middleton to to get this Bucks team over the over the hump, even though they they're much more experienced than this very young, raw, fresh Atlanta Hawks team. I think, NG, before you hop in here, I think that I'm going to disagree because I feel like Chris Middleton, he's one of those players that's unheralded. He can potentially win you one game because he literally did it in game three. Right, It was a close game, and he outscored the Hawks by himself. He has that ability to turn it up when needed. Can he do it in Game 6? Maybe. Can he do it in Game 5? They need him to. If, they go to, if this series goes to Game 7, yeah, he can definitely do it. But will he? That, that remains to be seen. But go ahead, Jay. I think the pressure doesn't, doesn't fall on Chris Middleton's shoulders. I think it falls on the coach um, because Ooh. he can put him in a situation – Coach B, uh, Bodenhoser, the Bucks coach. It's not going to fall on uh, Chris Middleton. But him putting his players in a position to be able to, you know, step out and do something extraordinary. Unfortunately, Chris Middleton isn't a top-tier player in the NBA, but he is more, more than capable of not being called a discount Paul George because <laughs> he I mean, has played on an Olympics team. He has gotten all-star appearances. So that's just my opinion. So hmm. I'm, I'm saying he's done more in this league to not be called a discount Paul George. Um, that's just what I'm, that's just what I'm saying. But anyways, uh, the pressure falls on Mike Budenhoser. And unfortunately he has, he has fell short time and time again. So that's what I think the downfall of the Bucks is going to be. I know Giannis, Giannis is out, but sometimes I feel like, a good coach can bring the best out of their players. Like I mentioned earlier, Tyron Lue, as well as um, uh, Nate McMillan. But we haven't seen that out of Budenholzer. Who else on this Bucks team has stepped up or has stepped out of their role to become uh, where we kind of noticed them? Even the star player that they got in this offseason, Drew Holiday. You know what? He, there's been games where he doesn't even touch the ball in the fourth quarter or he's just out there like he hasn't been an all-star or second team on defensive player of the year. So I don't know. I'm putting pressure on Budenholzer. Let's see what he can do. Can he have Forbes have a great game? I know players, it's like a 50-50 thing, but I'm leaning more towards the coaching in this in this series. Yeah, and also the others, right? Because we have Pat Connaughton, who's played decently. You have P.J. Tucker, who can hit corner threes at a at a clip. Not decently, but you, know, you have Brooke Lopez, and I don't understand why Brooke Lopez, all seven foot of him, is not anywhere close to the basket. That's just... And, Again, that's my opinion, but the fact that he's seven foot taking on what Capella, or sometimes they have a mismatch and they have another smaller defender on him instead of Capella, the fact that he's not punishing that defender that down on the block, it's kind of criminal, if you ask me. Like, same thing that happened to DeAndre Ayton in the Western Conference Finals when they had Nick Batum or Terrence Mann on him. The fact that they didn't run plays for DeAndre Ayton in the post with a 6'4 to 6'8 guy, 6'7 at most, defending you, it's absolutely criminal. And the fact that, you know, because Ivica Zubac missed a game with, what was it, like like an MCL sprain or like a knee sprain or something like that, mm. whatever whatever it was, 
the Los Angeles Clippers, and you know, if you haven't noticed now, we're just switching to the Western Conference Finals. We're switching to the WCF because it was a really interesting game. They put an uber small lineup similar to the Warriors death lineup, except a very, very much discounted version of the death lineup. And they took game, what was it, game five? Surprising. Yeah. Game five. The Clippers took it, and Paul George, he was just incredible. He played like an MVP. He played like, you know, the Thunder Paul George, maybe even the Indianapolis, Indianapolis, the Indiana uh, Paul George, because he dropped 41 points. He was 15 of 20 from the field and scored 20 points in the third quarter. But it wasn't just him because Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris Sr. stepped up with 22 points and 23 points, respectively. I saw this bizarre stat that if Marcus Morris scores 20 points or scores more than 10 points or something like that, or if he scores more than, or if he hits more than 50% of his field goal percentage, like the Clippers are 8 0 or something crazy like that, they're undefeated basically. Something crazy like that. Uh, I don't necessarily know all the details because I just saw it in passing, but Paul George, Pandemic P, I think he's earned the right to be not called Pandemic P at least for the duration of this series, because you, we talk about injuries. Kawhi Laird hasn't played. He hasn't played at all. And the fact that it's a 3-2 series with the Clippers blowing out Phoenix in game five, this is, this is outstanding. Shout out to Teron Luigi, you mentioned it before, for making the necessary adjustments because Terrence Mann was in there for, in game five. He was in there for the first few minutes. He saw that it wasn't working, so he pulled out Nick Batum. And I saw on StatMuse on Twitter, I have to double-check, but I think the offensive rating was like 140-something, and the defensive rating was 88 for a, for a discrepancy of like 60-something points. That's how much better they were with Batum as the five instead of Terrence Mann. And so, yeah, I mean, Devin Booker is going to get his. Chris Paul is going to get his. But if Paul George, but if the big three of Paul George, uh, Reggie Jackson, and Marcus Morris Sr. are doing this to you, I think you're in trouble. I still, I still hold out hope that the the Suns will win this series at some point. I'm just not confident in how many games. Tonight. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Go ahead, Daniel. Again, it's crazy how much a week kind of changes the narrative or anything. Look, here's the thing. I still lean the series going towards Phoenix uh, winning the series eventually, like you said, Jared, but I think this series could very well could go to seven games. I've been on the record of here many times ripping on Paul George, calling him pandemic P. I mean, he's missed two critical free throws twice in this series so far, as, as I can recall the memory. Imagine but, really quickly. Imagine if he did, this would be a wholly different series. <laughs> yep. But, um, I have to give some respect to Paul George here and this Clippers squad. Look, we have been ruling them out for like a month now, and they and and we got to give it to them. They they don't have a they have a you know no die spirit. This team has persevered throughout throughout the many course of many difficult games and a Kawhi Leonard injury, who probably in my opinion may not even return this postseason. Uh, I don't think this I don't think this Clipper team is honestly good enough to beat this Phoenix Suns team in in two in you know in a matter of two games. But I think they're this team is, you know, they're they are not to be underestimated. I think we have 
you know, underestimated them all postseason long. I think that needs to stop. This this Clipper team is, you know, quite literally dangerous. Um, this is the Clipper team we should have seen last year. I still think this Phoenix team is going to pull out the end, but I think this Clipper team is going to make it insanely difficult for Phoenix to make the NBA Finals. That's fair. Uh, I don't think we shake the name Pandemic P from Paul George because every time we say that, I just continuously <laughs> think about that shot from the side and it just hits the backboard. And I'm like, bro, like, no. Uh, so it's always going to be a part of him. He just has to embrace it. You know what I'm saying? At this point, you know who you are as a player. I know that it's a mental game, but you know what I'm saying? I've said it last episode. Kobe said it many times and many, many, uh, numerous amounts of times. Embrace the hate. And if they're going to hate you, go out and show what you can do on the court. And that's what he's doing here. Um, I think the Clippers have – they. I don't think they do. They have some players on this squad that, on paper, it looks nice. They have freaking DeMarcus Cousins, who arguably was one of the best bigs – arguably was the best big in the league for a couple of years. They have playoff Rondo. We haven't even seen that yet. They have a sniper in Luke Kennard on the bench. They have players from top to bottom. So even though Serge Ibaka is injured – and that's something that we just don't talk about. Like he wasn't hitting from downtown, giving them a consistent uh, 10 points and six rebounds, whatever he was averaging. But they have players to step up. Reggie Jackson is playing out of this world. Go ahead, Jared. So breaking, Evita Zubats is out for game six with a sprint MCL. Oh, they don't, they don't that's need major. Him. It's not major. They don't need him. <laughs> they play, know, they play, they play better. Look what just happened last game. They play better. I know he has – he gets his stats. He gets his double-doubles and whatnot. But they play better when they play small ball because uh, the Suns can't take advantage of it. Jared just mentioned it. DeAndre Ayton doesn't know how to uh, post up somebody that's uh, below seven feet. So the Clippers have a little bit more fluid to their game, to the offensive game, and they're able to switch on on on, the, on, on, on defense. So I think they don't need uh, Zubox. That's why they had uh, Serge Ibaka starting at the five in the beginning of the season. Hmm. Um <sighs> What's been happening is vital moments in the games, like towards the third or fourth quarter where Reggie Jackson happens to just transform into Michael Jordan or something. And he does stuff because Paul George carries the load throughout the game. Marcus Morris Sr. hits a three or two, but it isn't. It's like a quiet 20. But it's that it's it's Reggie Jackson. That's who the X factor is, because he comes out of nowhere when the Suns are battling back and forth. You know, Patrick Beverly, too. I feel like he's the X factor because, you know, light skins, they just can't handle it. They can't handle it. Devin Booker is getting uh, Patrick Beverly is all up in this man's head. Like, come on, man. You got to have that mama mentality and go off after Patrick Beverly. He's only six one, bro. You need to go get your buckets. But anyways, X factor for sure is Reggie Jackson. When he goes off, it's just like. Take, takes over. So every game that the, the Clippers won, I know Paul George is the star, but Reggie Jackson is that biggest X factor. I still say the Suns win. I, I have confidence that they can get the W today. Um, today, be peek behind the curtain, Wednesday night. Um, so let's get it in game six. Stop playing with your food. Let's get to the finals and rest up. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about Paul George for the most part. And just two questions here. While we're talking about him, kind of popped up. So, this is this might seem like a, a blasphemous statement with a squad with Kawhi Leonard on it, but with this series kind of doing going the way that it is, is it fair to say that Paul George should be the number one option moving forward? No, I don't think so. Um, Paul George could be, should, I think, should be taken more into consideration in more of a leadership role, uh, given Kawhi Leonard's inability to. Um, to lead sometimes, but no, Kawhi Leonard is by far the best offensive option on this team. 
and possibly the best defensive player on his team. I, I just think Paul George has kind of proven himself that, you know, he can, I think he should be, at least Tyloo should be more open to him being in a more leadership position in that locker room, being more of that voice. Because Kawhi Leonard at time has shown time and time again that he just can't lead. As we saw in that, in, you know, during the game, the camera literally panned him and his, and his, you know, emotions was, you know, emotionless. So should, should Paul George be considered for the number one option on this team? No, he's just not, he's simply just not the best talented pl- player on this squad right now. That's Kawhi Leonard. But for, in, in terms of more, a bigger voice in the locker room, yes. Fair enough. And I think that's how it is because Kawhi Leonard can get off, get his, his buckets. But I think that Paul George, if given the opportunity, would be a perfect 1A or 1B. That's just my opinion. But go ahead, G, real quick, if you have anything to add, if Paul George should be a number one option. Yeah, I, I feel like Paul George can be a number one option for sure, especially on this Clippers team. Uh, you, we got to we got to stop putting dirt on, on Paul George because he is in his bag. And I'm just looking <laughs> at the similarities as far as um, uh, career averages. We have Paul George with a career average of 20 points per game and then Kawhi Leonard with 19.2. So it's pretty similar here. Uh, it, I feel like both players are similar. You know, it's just Kawhi Leonard has the finals MVPs. Kawhi Leonard has the championships. But they're similar players. They, they're both wings that can play the two, three, and the four. They are both uh, terrific perimeter defenders, and they can both score on, on all three levels. So if we say Kawhi Leonard is the better defensive player than Paul George because if we're looking at the defensive player of the year he won, let him focus on that. You say Paul, uh, Kawhi Leonard um, takes a step back with being vocal. I think Paul George, if you have him focused solely on offense and you have Kawhi Leonard just continues to do what he's going to do, which is still give you 24 points a game and still be a defensive anchor, I don't see a problem with that because now we're having one player focus on one thing. You see what, when Anthony Davis comes to Lakers, just think of it like that. Anthony Davis was the number one option on the Pelicans, averaging 28 points a game. He comes to Lakers. He's still the number one option, but does it look a little bit more efficient as far as how he's getting his points, aside from him wanting to be KD and shoot threes, but do you see what I'm saying? Maybe this is what needs to happen for the Clippers because now we're seeing Paul George blossom and that shouldn't be happening for a 30 year old. He should be, he probably should be in this position where he's able to showcase his full bag because Kawhi Leonard is going to do what he's going to do. It's just not going to be as flashy, but Paul George needs to thrive off of that showtime type of stuff, crossing people over, having Chris Paul looking like he's about to sit on the sofa at the, at the, at the cribbo. But yeah, so I would say, Paul George is the number one option on this team is okay because Kawhi Leonard is going to be still going to do what he does. He's going to get his, basically. Like, it doesn't matter if, like, you run plays for Kawhi or, or PG. Both of them are going to get theirs. And I think, for me personally, I think PG would be, and this entire Clippers team, if they keep the same core next year, would be a lot more successful if they focused on PG because he's a much more, he's a smoother player on offense. So, that that's a thing but also quick quick question here um so i don't know if you guys get or saw the the comments that were made last night where i forgot who said it but someone said that paul george gets a lot of criticism and g you talk about the mental aspect of the game i think that i think that paul george doesn't get a lot of criticism the fact is that he gets the same amount of criticism as every superstar you know considered you know, from the 90s to 80s and whatever else, but social media is that much of a thing now, and it's more magnified. It's the same kind, but it's just magnified more, if that makes sense. So I just want to posit the question out to you guys. 
do you think he gets criticized too often because we've been calling him pandemic P for the longest time, but is that a fair thing to say? I have mixed feelings on that notion in a way. I mean, look at the end of the day, Paul, like every, every, every superstar in the history of the league has, has gotten criticized and in a way superstars on a, on a certain level, they need to, they just need to deal with it. It's just, it just comes with being a superstar, just comes with being that good of a player. The difference here between criticism and what Paul George is going through, we're just, it, the, the thing is, we as fans and pundits alike, we have openly mocked him, okay? We're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of making fun of him. It, 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 it kind of, in the last year, ever since, you know, that whole Nugget series has happened, we kind of pushed him into a spotlight similar to JaVale McGee for many years on Shaqton the Fool. It, it, it's becoming to the point where, like, we're completely we've kind of made Paul George into an into a much bigger joke than he really should be because Paul George is one of the better players in the league so in a way I can see where Paul George is coming from when you're being mocked and getting made fun of constantly it gets to your head it went it got to JaVel McGee's head after so many years so and Paul George has gotten the same type of thing in a in a in a way it's much worse and in a much shorter time so I kind of feel sympathy for Paul George here, but when you're a superstar and when you and, and when you have like when you have up in the past, like it's not surprising that you're gonna get this type of treatment from fans and 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 pundits alike. It's just the it's just the cruel nature of the you know the new like the 24 hours 24 hour news cycle. It's just the nature of it. Go ahead, G. Uh, I just think it's funny because one. Nobody called him Pandemic P, and so he self-proclaimed himself as Playoff P. <laughs> Y'all about to see this, and we see the interviews. Uh, scrolling down Twitter sometimes, where uh, when Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony were all on the Thunder, and one reporter was like, "Yeah, like you have you guys seen this? Of you know, I'm probably not recalling the the interview as best as possible, but basically the the gist of it was uh, they were the reporter was asking Russell Westbrook and Carmelo, that, have they heard of this 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 name of uh, Playoff P?" And they start laughing. And that's what we're doing. Dude, we saw Nick Young on the Lakers shoot the three, turn around, dance, and it rims out. You know what I'm saying? With hmm. LeBron James, we talk about his hairline. I talk about KD and his freaking hair. Uh, they don't brush their hair. Come on now. You are there's a certain culture, because I was about to go ethnic, but it's a culture around basketball. <laughs> and everybody talks about each other, bro. It's trash talk. And now it's just extending outside of it. We you're 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 one of the best players in the world. You're going to get talked about. They, we still talk about Kobe today. And RIP. He didn't pass. You know what I'm saying? But still had 5,000 assists for his career. You know what I'm saying? So, Paul George, bro, I know it's a mental thing. Like, I kid, I kid you not. I understand. I'm not on the NBA level, but I understand how, how draining that could be. But, bro, you got to shake it off, bro. Wipe your tears away because everybody and their mama get talked about in the NBA, <laughs> bro. I just talked about Devin Booker being light-skinned. Ain't nothing wrong with that, bro. He's a millionaire. You're a millionaire. Go get your buckets. Prove them wrong. It is what it is, my guy. Everybody get talked about. KD, bro. He, We still call him a snake, bro. And freaking things happen outside of the NBA. I forget uh, which French uh, soccer player, football player, uh, messed up in a in a in a game, and they're they're over here doing the little KD meme because he's gonna switch teams or stuff. I don't know, bro. It happens. It's social media. It's magnified, but you just gotta laugh at it, bro. Because nobody, everybody that's making fun of you, Paul George. And I hope you're listening to this. Ain't on your level, dog. You know what I'm saying? You you live your dream playing in the NBA, you got a bad wife, children, uh, money. You know what I'm saying? You're living your dream, bro. Keep balling. Keep your head up, Paul, Pandemic P. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, but y'all going to lose tonight. Wow. I mean, we're talking about 
last thing here before we move on to the quick hitters. We're talking about like these uh, these nicknames, right? Pandemic P, right? What about Lemon Pepper Lou? Because I'm thinking if Lou Will was on the Clippers right now, this would be a much shorter series for the Clippers. But I'm just curious because Rondo and Lou Will, they're both in the conference finals. So if you're either squad, who would you rather have? Would you rather have, if you're the Hawks, would you rather have Rondo or Lou Williams? And if you're the Clippers, would you rather have Lou Williams or Rondo? Really, really quickly before we move on. Um, I think it, in, in both of those cases, I mean, you said Lou Williams or Rondo, right? Yeah, because they got traded for each other. I have to side with Rondo here because he, he like, so regardless... If you're the Clippers, you would take Rondo? Uh, no. Need time to I don't. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. Um, for, for Atlanta Hawks team, I'll take Ronald because he's he's a much more experienced guy. You, you need those guys in the locker room. But for a Clipper team, I can see your point with Lou Will because, you know, Rondo, Rondo's just, he's not the player he used to be. And Lou Will at times can still produce. So, yeah, that. That's how I would go with it. And Rondo's not even playing. But go ahead, G. Yeah. Uh, for the Hawks, I'm sticking with Lou Will, Lemon Pepper, and Lou because they need that offense. We see times where it's stagnant when Trey Young isn't um, on the court or when they happen to have somebody like Bogdanovich injured. So perfect situation, especially with Trey Young injured. Now Lou Williams stand, stood, uh, uh, stepped up. With the Clippers, I, I still would side with Rondo because Lou Williams is a liability on the defensive end. So um, I think it worked out. It's just – Rondo doesn't fit with this Clippers team. That's his fault. He should have stayed with the Lakers. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, he got a bag, I guess. But, you know, we're talking about bags and just quick hitters here before we wrap things up. Chauncey Billups was named the Portland Trailblazers' next head coach. And it's a deal worth reportedly five five years and some amount of millions of dollars, as as is the case. And... I don't know what you guys think about this hiring because I'm honestly on the fence about it. Um, it's been really, really strange. Uh, shout out to Daniel for putting all these notes down. But apparently in, well, not apparently, allegedly in 1997, Chauncey Bose was part of um, basically a sexual assault. And he and a few other Boston Celtics players at the time uh, raped a woman. Um Billups was not charged and it was settled financially out of court when Chauncey was asked about it and by extension GM Neil Oshie when they were asked about it uh, during Chauncey's press conference Neil Oshie said that an investigation was initiated and found that nothing illegal had nothing illegal had happened and it's kind of strange because Damian Lillard was pushing for for Chauncey and Jason Kidd, who also has a history of domestic violence abuse. Um, they He was pushing for either of those coaches to be hired, and it was just kind of a, a strange situation. And when Lillard was asked about it, he didn't know that they had this past. But, yeah, it's just a strange situation. This The backlash from this hiring could potentially push Lillard out, but just quick thoughts on this. This is a really, really touchy subject, and you know it's one that we need all the information on, but just really quick, inform- uh, 
really quick thoughts on this. There's two parts to this of my own opinion. From a basketball perspective, I think this is, I think, you know, this is the one of the more ideal candidates you could have gotten. Like, you know, if you want to build a championship team, then why not build, uh, get one of those guys that was responsible for, you know, one of the, you know, more underdog championship runs in NBA history, Chauncey Billups, who's, who's been famous as being a great locker room guy. Like on paper, that makes complete total sense. Like you need, like that's your ideal head coach. But from a PR perspective, I would have had so much trouble with completing this hiring decision. This is an incredibly seriously uncomfortable, touchy subject. I mean, a lot can go so wrong. So if I was the um, the Blazers and like, and, and if I was that president of basketball operations, like they, I know they said they conducted the investigation. They found nothing illegal or, or in, nothing insanely wrong happened. They better be right because if they're wrong, it's going to bite them really hard. It's, it's, you know, bad PR is never good business. So like this is it's you know to the Blazers like I hope you made the right decision because if, if you didn't I mean you're out of luck so good luck good luck <laughs> um not laughing at the situation it's just really wild how you can dig up stuff from the past I'm not saying it to like you know brush over the uh severity of what what is going on um I'm not going to touch up on it too much cuz Daniel did it good luck right um, I'm more, I'm, I'm more like puzzled that they gave him a four year deal with the team option for the for the fifth year. So I'm more puzzled that Chauncey Billups has been an analyst for a while. You know, he's been an assistant coach with the Clippers for this is his first season, correct? Or am I? Yeah, something like so, that. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, where's your resume? I know, look, look, I know you guys played in the NBA, yes, but playing and coaching two different things you can be a locker room guy doesn't mean you need to be in a head coach of an of a team so if i'm damian lillard i'm upset because i'm like this feels like jason Kidd with the bucks or with the knicks you know what i'm saying like steve nash with the nets like bro where's your steve nash a little bit you know he worked with the organization with the warriors for a minute but where's your where's your resume because if you if this was a regular job you know what i'm saying and you didn't have you didn't like you didn't play in the nba you know it, it'd be a different story like we see a lot of players go and coach back, uh, high school or college, you know what I'm saying, to get to build up that resume. So that's why I'm a little puzzled at. But, I mean, they're all for it. I hope it works out. Never going to pray for the downfall of an of a NBA, NBA player being able to coach um, a team. And I'm not going to pray on the downfall of a black coach in the NBA as well. But I'm still puzzled as far as all the nitty-gritty and details, especially when we have Becky Hammond and she's been doing her damn thing. But at this point, I'm like, nobody's going to appreciate her other than the Spurs. So once Greg Popovich retires, you know what? She should be filling in that spot since everybody else wants to act, act like buttholes, like she's not a, a, a good coach or at least has a resume. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's really interesting about Becky Hammond, too, because when I think The Athletic published a piece a few days ago, regarding Becky Hammond and making it to the final stages, the farthest any woman has ever gotten with regards to a head coaching gig. She got to the final stages of the, the process and they ultimately chose Chauncey Billups over her. And once the, once the kind of like the stuff with Chauncey Billups started popping up, uh, I think it was Blazers PR or something somewhere along the Blazers. Someone with the Blazers said that when the Blazers asked the Spurs information on, you know, Becky Hammond, they were apparently quote, 
told that she doesn't have the the fine details of being a head coach fully down. Again, this is coming from the Blazers themselves. So whether that is kind of like PR speak for saying we chose Chauncey because we felt that he was more, he was better in a way to kind of like simmer down the fire that they started. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird situation, but you guys speak of Jason Kidd. He got hired by the Dallas Mavericks as their head coach and former Nike executive Nico Harrison has just been hired to be the, uh, I don't know, to be a, a GM for, was it the GM for the Mavericks? General so. manager and I think basketball operations well, as operations. well. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Um, and just a few more things before we wrap things up. The WNBA has reached a 99% vaccination rate, meaning 99% of the league is fully vaccinated. That's incredible. Shout out to the, the shout out to the WNBA for doing things right once again and for showing us how it should be done. And lastly, the WNC the NCAA has announced that athletes will be able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness starting Thursday. So by the time this comes out, all your favorite college athletes will be able to make money from from their name. So shout out to the WNBA and the NCAA for actually doing things right. You know, like because the, the NCAA has been behind the eight ball. I mean, a lot of states have already said that they're willing to pay their college athletes, and the NCAA was like, you know what? We look bad regardless, so let's just do it. Whatever. We're a multi-billion dollar organization. Let's just do it. And the WNBA, shout out to them. Always showing us how it should be done. But speaking of things that should be done, don't forget to subscribe to the Shooting Bricks podcast and leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Lastly, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter, at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram, and at The Shooting Bricks Podcast on YouTube for all the news and the video of this episode of The Shooting Bricks Podcast. And as always, I'm Jerry Castillo. I'm Daniel Huynh. Uh To everyone out there, have a safe 4th of July, and God bless America, and joining me as well. Yes, and I hope you guys are enjoying this episode on the weekend. You know, you guys are traveling. Go ahead and pop it up on in your uh, radio. And if you guys are sharing our content, please be sure to tag us so we can share it as well. But, of course, it's your boy, Really Real Jarrell Sip. And we will see you guys next week.